Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Moore, and I am joined today by the Director of Missionary Care and Development, Julie Duval-Jones. Julie, thank you for being on the Fellowship Podcast. Well, hey, Jake. Thanks. I'm really glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome to have you here. And I'm excited today because we're, as a part of the Pastoral Care Series, wanting to focus in this year and particularly for this episode on personal development or even family development. And we're going to be talking particularly for families of TCKs, third culture kids. And so today's episode is all about third culture kids and parenting third culture kids. And not only are you our missionary director of missionary care and development, so you're handling family dynamics, uh, you're handling the, the various things that are going on with people's kids around the world. You're also a mother of seven TCKs and that dealt, is with, true. dealt with a lot of different issues in your own family as well as with other missionaries. And so I am so grateful to have you on uh, well, for today's episode. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I always say that other people's families and their kids cannot surprise me because with my seven, I'm sure I've seen it, done it, been there. <laughs> You have, you've seen some dynamic that, yeah, that's just, you know, God's blessing to the world through you is that you have seen the full gamut of things, emotions, behaviors, and you can, we'll just, we'll just take that twist. Uh, Sure, sure. You're going to, you're going to take that blessing, you're going to name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, let's start with kind of a general understanding, uh, because I know a lot of people here in listening to this episode maybe know what we're talking about, but if not, let's start a little bit general. What in the world is a third culture kid, a TCK? We're going to be throwing the word, the, the acronym TCK around. What What is a third culture kid? That's a really great question because a lot of people ask me that and they, or they ask, is that a tick? Are you missing the eye? <laughs> yeah. you know, a third culture kid, um, we used to call them missionary kids, but that was kind of exclusive of only children of missionaries. So actually, we've started to adopt the term, the more broader term, TCK or third culture kid, meaning that it's a child who's growing up in a culture that's different than their host, than their than their parents. Mm-hmm. So um, it means that they take the parents' culture and then the culture that they live in and kind of create a third culture. They're not just like their parents or just not the place they live. That can also um, apply then to like military kids like yourself, Jake, yep, who, yep. you know, you live with American parents, mm-hmm. but you also lived in several different places around the world mm-hmm. uh, as a child. Or um, it also applies to children who maybe live in the United States, but have a parent from a different culture. So they mm-hmm. might be a blend of their father's Hispanic culture and their mother's mm-hmm. American culture. So. I I, uh, in reading some different materials and even knowing some other missionaries as a former missionary in Ethiopia, met different missionary families. And I was always intrigued by what I would even view as, uh, third culture families or third culture parents, say, say like a Norwegian father married to, uh, a German woman and their kids were born in Ethiopia. And so in the home, they speak English, even though mom, dad, mom and dad's native tongue is totally different too. And so th- right. even that, the kids are third culture. It seems like the family even is almost like a third culture in and of itself. Right. It's a blend. I mean, th- there's an old poem that was written a long time ago by a TCK talking mm-hmm. about they feel like they're from the yellow country and their parents are from the yellow country, but they live in the blue country, but they're not yellow or blue. They're more of a green. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the way you can think of it as a a blending of cultures, and that can happen in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. So when we think about third culture kids, and particularly our kids, um, our missionary kids on the fields or some folks that are listening to this, 
what what would you see as some of the greatest challenges for third culture kids? There there are a lot of challenges. Um, one mm-hmm. is this transition. I mean, their mm-hmm. transition's hard. Our our family just moved from Missouri to Indiana, and that was, you know, it kind of sets you back and you have to kind of reinvent who you are and and try to figure out how it works here. Mm-hmm. So TCKs are almost often are almost always transitioning, whether they're in their country of service or they're back on furlough or sometimes team transition, you know, their their teammates there and then the teammates leave and they're on furlough. So there's always just kind of this um, transition that makes it really difficult for, for TCKs. Um, there's also, um, they lots of times they feel like they don't fit in, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a loneliness and um, not really feeling like they belong in one place or the other. Hey, and when is that, loneliness apparent is it when they're in the host country where their parents are serving uh or can does that often appear at home in their home country or what's supposed to be their home country yeah i think it appears in both places at least i've observed it in some of my children in both places Mm -hmm. i mean even among their cousins so you know we've Mm -hmm. been in we've been in africa for three years we come home with their cousins the cousins have three years of memories that they weren't a part of or, you know, they all kind of go to school and speak the same kind of know the pop culture and the fashions. And, you know, our kids don't know that. Mm-hmm. But then we go back to Africa and they feel kind of lonely and out of joint because they're not necessarily African either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do realize as you're talking, I failed to mention that you had your kids all over <laughs> in Ivory Coast in West Africa. You are a former Church Catalyst CMF missionary in Ivory Coast. And correct. so that's why you're mentioning three years in Africa. It's not like you just go hang out over there. Right. And, and we also know that you have children that you raised yeah. in Africa as well. So, I mean, I'm sure yeah. you have things to, you have yeah, things absolutely. to Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a couple of things is hearing you say that about transitions uh, in particular, or even the sense of fitting in. Uh, Effie Giles is a dear friend of ours. And she said that more often than not, her family felt the most normal, the most comfortable. And she was probably talking most about her kids felt the most normal when they were on the plane traveling Absolutely. between locations. It was like the, the transport for transition was what is where they felt most comfortable because in exactly. either of the other cultures, they weren't quite themselves. And I've also noticed that I think our TCKs feel more comfortable when they're with other TCKs, you know, mm-hmm. When they're, when they're at uh, all CMF events or they're at Fuller Retreat or Celebration, you know, they have, these are my people because they understand what it's like to mm-hmm. fit in everywhere and fit in nowhere. And nowhere at all. Yeah. yeah. When you were saying that about uh, the home culture and cousins, um, I was thinking a little bit more of one thing that I tell people, we, we would come home on furloughs after four years, after three years, back to the United States for home assignment. And our kids and visits to different churches that support us would go to kids programs mm-hmm. and various well-meaning Sunday school teachers and such would say, so did you just miss the United States? <laughs> and my kid who was born in Kenya or lived all of her life in Ethiopia doesn't even know how to frame that. She's like, right. I've never lived in the United States. So yeah, I look like I should miss it, but I never did. So I always tell people, during our furloughs, we would quote unquote play American. And it wasn't until we moved back to the United States uh, permanently in 2017 that we had to figure out how to be Americans. Um, exactly. And it kind of was like touching on that feeling of uh, as a TCK, you, you kind of know how to play in all the different worlds, 
but you never have to be fully one of those those players, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. And on mm-hmm. furlough, people often say to the kids, are you so glad to be home? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not their home. And that's really right. hard for grandparents and you know, aunts and yeah. cousins too, because their home is in their host country usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking about our parents out there that are listening to this podcast, what are the challenges they're facing in trying to help guide and develop their third culture kids? What are some words that you would suggest to them, some ways of thinking, some directions that they could be heading in to help their kids navigate some of the stuff, like you said, with transitions? Oh, yeah. Their their challenges are many because... (laughs) Parents are not only trying to adapt and transition and find their footing themselves, because, I mean, the rug gets yanked out from under you when you head to another culture and another language, and you're trying to figure out how to cook and clean and talk to your neighbor and do ministry. You're also trying to deal with the stresses on your marriage, Mm -hmm. but then you have these children. So you're trying to transition yourself and help them transition. Mm -hmm. And the really great thing about kids is, they all don't transition the same way. Uh-huh, that's so, fun. <laughs> the more kids you have, the more ways you have to learn to help them mm-hmm. um, transition. But I found for our family, some of the general things that helped was about six to 12 weeks on either side of a transition, we had to up the communication and talk mm. a lot more about how are you feeling? How are we feeling? You know, how... How did you experience today? What are you afraid of? What are you going to miss? What are you looking forward to? Um, and, and, and how did that look? Would you, would you guys set aside a day? Hey, like if you're in the United States on home assignment, a day like at a lake, having a picnic and intentional time like that, or more like dinner table after school, we're just going to hit it and talk about these things. I think it would depend on your family dynamic. For my family, um, for our family, setting aside a day just didn't work. It had to be, uh, it had to be an, a daily and then not, and probably several times a day, you know, as you're going to bed, as you're at the dinner table, as you're, you know, just kind of check in. Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Of course, with seven kids, you know, <laughs> that's, an all day, that's, an, that's an all day effort on your part. <laughs> an all day effort. Yeah. And at the same time, they start acting up depending on their age. Mm-hmm. I mean, they start acting up and acting out. I don't know if you noticed that with your children, but mm-hmm. you know, they're either more clingy or, or more emotional or angry and picking mm-hmm. fights or disobedient. So at the same time, having to talk through feelings, we also had to talk through behavior. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to be, I'm not necessarily a strict parent, but I'd have to be more strict during those times. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like more strict with the behavior so that we don't just go crazy and lose everything. And mm-hmm. at the same time, then more supportive emotionally and you know working yeah. through how they're feeling. So I would have to do that on either side of a transition probably about. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So that I, I kind of highlighted the, the home assignment piece mm-hmm. in Ivory Coast. How did that look? Was that, again, around the dinner table, check-ins throughout the day, 12 weeks out from when you guys returned? Uh, or did even there, would you got, did you maybe flip the script and do some intentional time maybe away from your home yeah. to talk through things? Both, both, both sides, both mm-hmm. sides of transition before you would leave, we would leave one country. And after we arrived in the other, just do a lot more check-ins and set aside time. I would say both would be important to set aside time mm-hmm. and then also just make it part of the fabric of your day. Just your routine of, yeah. or if you notice someone walking along sad, you know, give them a hug. So what's going on, buddy? How you yeah. doing? Hey, that's what I was going to ask is, what have been some signs for you in your own family, as well as signs that or indicators 
that a kid's struggling, uh, that you've maybe even seen with some of our own missionary families. Um, right. I, I, like you mentioned, uh, about behaviors, my kids, uh, don't, aren't angry kids. They don't get angry that they're well, not, they don't lucky. fight. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. <laughs> they're lovers, not fighters. No. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're not going to fight with each other. Now, some of that might be big brother knew he couldn't punch little sisters or right. something like that. He was, he was a nice enough guy in that way. But I will say clinginess was one thing that we noticed, um, with a couple of our kids and then maybe, a a, a pulling back. Uh, right. a little bit uh, from a, a quietness, uh, a sullenness were, were some of the things we saw. What, what were some of the things that you would say, Hey, these are indicators that conversations need to be happening with it. Would it be things like that? Yeah, it would be things like that. And once again, it totally depends on the kids. They keep mm -hmm. us on our toes. I mean, some children will withdraw, some will be more emotional and clingy and, you know, kind of even regress from the, where their age appropriateness should be. Um, and then other children will be, irritable, crabby, short, you know, sassy, smart aleck, just, you know, just mm. impossible to live with. And then other children will just be frantic, just like, bah, bah, you know, all over the place mm. and energy everywhere and, you know, not slowing down. And, you know, so it could be any of the gambit, but I would say that any, any behavior that's out of the ordinary for that child. Mm. So if your child's normally um, outgoing and confident and they start being clingy and crying, then, you know, you might be concerned in the same way if your child's usually pretty calm and obedient and they're just climbing the walls and won't slow down, then maybe that's a sign that they're, they need some attention. Yeah. Do you find or suggest with a number of the families that you work with that it be both parents engaging with one child or I, I know it depends on the kid, on the family, but I guess I was thinking some practical ways to engage with maybe some of these situations. Was it be mom and dad trying to sit down everybody all together? Uh, that does that work or I don't know with your family, how in the I, world do you sit a whole bunch of people down all at once? So I think, I, I think in the one-on-one -on -one maybe yeah. makes a greater impact in the, in the end. I would think that having a family check in and everybody together is not a bad idea, but I think it more happens organically as life mm -hmm. is happening, you know, with, and we all have, as parents, children that we connect with differently. And so, you know, mom may connect with this child in a way that's helpful and dad may connect with the other one. You know, he may need to take one of the kids out to, you know, go go play tennis or something and talk while they're playing tennis. And mom may need to, you know, go for a bike ride with another one. But just we all know um, it's, it's to know our children and to know ourselves and to know the best dynamics that help them. And, and we can be really creative and use different, different methods. It's just the connection. That's the important part. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I see that. And definitely in our, in, in my own life and with my own children, um, I know when we were down country at our station in Ethiopia, my kids liked our family together time, but we were always together right. <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so I think when they were struggling at, from time to time, they had a, found a, a great deal of value in the one-on-one -on -one aspect of, yeah. of connecting. So it would be jumping on the motorcycle with me and us riding off to some some spot and hiking around uh, together or sitting together, packing a little picnic or something like that and, right. and having those intentional moments. Um, and, I think, 
that were really good for my kids. Yeah, I think, I think in our family, the one-on-one time has been more effective, but you just said the word intentional, and that's the word I want mm-hmm. parents to grab onto. Okay. It's not so much as how you do it, it's that you're intentional about it and you make it a priority, that mm-hmm. in the midst of all your transition and all the stuff you have to deal with, that you also take your children's needs as a priority and, mm-hmm. and, and be intentional about spending that time together and doing those check-ins with both um, feelings and, and then also behavior. I know it sounds weird, but with all of the stuff that you're dealing with when you're doing ministry, do you know anybody that like marks a reminder in their phone or puts it on a Google calendar, like intentional check-in time for their, I mean, that's something I was thinking just now, as I was listening to you say, I'm, I tend to try to be a pretty intentional person in these things, but I know your head's down, you're just doing the work, you're engaging with people in the community things can get lost pretty quick. Do you know any, are there any tricks that you've heard of or know of anything that works for other people? I do not, but I think that's a great idea. If that's not something that's normally on your radar all the time, Mm -hmm. then definitely put it, schedule it, put put an alarm on your phone, put it on the calendar, Mm -hmm. make it happen. However you need to make it happen, make it happen. Because with that, making it happen, the intentionality piece it might even seem like it's forced at the time, but your kid is going to remember that. They're they're going to come back to it even. Even if in that moment, you're intentional and engaging with them and they just say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> that leaves like the door open to them Absolutely. coming back emotionally. Space. Yeah, to say, Crazy okay. And it, and it communicates to your children that you care about them, that, mm-hmm. that you know, builds trust between you. And it says, you know, if you're not ready to talk about it right now, Mm-hmm. I just want you to know I'm here and anytime you need to talk about it. Well, I'd like to, so we've been talking TCK's yeah. big, big general. Okay. Let's think about age groups, age brackets. Okay. How do you, how do you navigate the, the one to four year old feel? How do you navigate the five to 10 year old kind of time frame? the, the, the tweeners age, the teenager age. I, I, I know, I imagine just like we, teenagers are way different than five-year-olds a little bit, sort of. I mean, they have, they have they're a lot alike in a lot. They have, they have temper tantrums. Yeah, they do their own thing that are very similar. Um, but, I, you know, we'll, we'll give them credit. They, they're a little different. And so how have you seen best ways to navigate that? Because I know with, with our missionaries that are listening to the podcast, they have kids at different stages sure. along the way. So it'd be great to even think about that. And and you have kids at various stages along that, that journey. So I have children about every stage of life. <laughs> so yeah. What do you think early, early years? What, what are some of the challenges and then what would be some ways that parents can intentionally engage with those earlier years? I think that the younger children are the ones that transition the easiest. Mm-hmm. Um, but the number one key, I think, in any stage is for the parent to transition well. To, for the parent, if they're, you know, having issues, if they're angry, if whatever, to work through their their emotions, to work with, work through it so that they transition well. So um, the younger kids, you may want to bring things that they're connected to, you know, their blankie, their stuffed animal, their whatever. Make sure they have the things that make them feel comforted and make them feel safe. And then um, just continue to love them more, hug them more, you know, if that's the things that they love, you know, cuddle a little more cuddle time to just reassure them that you're there. Um, when I 
before we went to the field, I don't even remember who told me this, but it was a missionary that's from somewhere that somehow ended up in our home. But she said, remember that you are your children's home. Mm-hmm. You know, that this yeah. family, this group, that you are their home. So you need to be a safe place for your children. And I think that they can really feel that when they're younger. You know, when you take them in your arms, they can tell if you're, if you're tense. They can feel your anger, or your sadness. Mm-hmm. So to work through that and keep them close is really important when they're young. Yeah, I definitely, that speaks to something Aaron and I would say to other families all the time is that wherever mom and dad are at, the the little guys and gals feel at home. They, right. They're like, you're almost like their transitional object in some Absolutely. ways, just mom and dad being there. Uh, and so definitely they can feel that stress, that tension you're under, or just your, your ability to engage with them with where they're at, even if they can't have words for it because they're too. Right. Yeah. Now I know, yeah, for my kids, uh, transitional objects, a thing that they had when they were babies and still have as 17, 15 yeah. and 11 year olds is their little stuffed animal, uh, that they had. Now we're thankfully, uh, we never lost them in all of the flights. And, that is dramatic and tragic. Yeah. Talk about, <laughs> talk about trauma inducing, yeah, lose, right. lose that transitional, uh, stuffed animal uh and then you're you're never going to live that down as a parent now never 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 yeah god's god's grace can carry you through that one too but yeah that was one thing our kids had so it's recognizing that if uh routine was a big thing for us yeah uh, too so it's having uh, you know if they've got their little stuffed animal and then particularly bedtime routine wherever we were at whether it was some random hotel halfway between our home and Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, uh, or if it was at a visiting support uh, supporters church uh, and their home here in the United States, the bedtime piece we felt like brought enabled them to to handle that transition a, a lot better. Absolutely, I think that this helps children from from all ages. I think, but parents need to have portable portable traditions, portable mm. routines that that make your family your family. So it might be your bedtime routine. It might be all singing a song together before you go to sleep. It may be pancake Saturdays or, and we used to have pillowcases for every season. So we would, you know, oh, really? That's pillowcases fun. for every season. Cause those are portable. You put them in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a suitcase and take them with you. Um, maybe celebrating an odd holiday that nobody else celebrates. Mm-hmm. Um, but things that make your family, your family that can be portable, um, really help kids feel that sense of safety and stability in a, in a world that's not very stable at all. So yeah, if for folks with little, little kids, this is the time to start creating those. It's okay. You're not behind the eight ball and creating the culture yet. You, you can got start creating, time. You, got, you got time. You can start creating some of those things. Yeah. Birthdays were always a big deal in our, in our home and our family, yeah. even if it was just the five of us, it was a big deal. And and Aaron, my wife did a great job of always making that a fun celebration. Even when we, the, the materials themselves were limited, uh, the focus, right. the focus was important. It can be a special plate that you take that you get to eat off mm-hmm. of on your birthday, or it can be that you choose the meal for that night, or you get to choose an activity. It doesn't have to be something super complicated or expensive. Just yeah. something that you always do that gives the children that routine and stability. Okay. So, okay. So that's earlier years yeah. of kids. What do you think about the five to 10, 10 range, maybe some yeah. specific challenges and then ways to be intentional with them? I would say that the elementary school kids, you know, they're starting to be able to read and process. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so going through book, reading books together sometimes or watching movies together that have a message, sometimes they're not really willing to talk about themselves, but they mm -hmm. may talk about a character in a book. Mm -hmm. They can like mirror mirror with a character in a story. All right. So mm -hmm. you can say, have you, have you ever felt like this person in, you know, in that movie or, you know, or you can read books about moving and, and you can kind of talk round about how they feel through the book or the movie. Mm -hmm. um, there's also some really great, uh, resources for kids that age. Um, one of them is a journal that we try to give TCKs when they leave CMF around that age mm -hmm. that just helps them process. They can draw how you feel today. You know, what do you miss from your old house? You know, journaling. What am I thankful for? What am I sad about? What am I angry about? You know, kind of to help them. So, so journaling and books and movies, I think are really great way mm -hmm. To, to is there, but you're, like you said, they're not going to have the words. More than likely, they're not going to have the words, but they have those feelings and they right. can resonate. They can mirror those feelings in someone else's story. And that gives them the words to express. Absolutely. them. In. Okay. Okay. So the, the 11 to 13 year olds, those, you I'm know, I don't like the phrase, but the, or the, the terminology, teenagers, but that is, it is an odd year or time frame. That is, uh, to me, at least for me, that's the most challenging age mm -hmm. of children um, mm -hmm. because they're already such an identity switch there and all the hormones are going and, mm -hmm. you know, they're in between adult and child. And um, I would say be really, really patient, <laughs> lots <laughs> of patience, um, accept them when they are acting childlike, you know, don't tell them to grow up and then, you know, and then validate the part of them that's when they're acting adult-like. Um, I think that they would use a mix of the tools depending on um, who your child is. You know, some 12 year, year olds are going on 16 and some 12 year olds are going on eight. Yeah. So, um, but I still so, think that journaling. Like, you like, you mean like for the 12 year old going on eight, that would maybe be the whole mirroring in a story type mentality. Right. You might have to watch inside out together mm -hmm. again and talk about, you know, when do you feel like joy and when do you feel like sadness and mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah going through books again talk about a tearjerker movie yikes oh, yeah. oh my gosh really for tck's though when they talk about all their different i mean that's a kid in mm -hmm. transition and the different memories she's storing different places mm -hmm. and how to access them and it's a great tck movie i boohoo every time i watch that movie <laughs> <laughs> it's so good yeah it's so good um okay teenagers then like we're moving into the adult years they're maybe heading out of the house they might if your family is still on the field they're moving away from the field, maybe. Yeah. So those are, there's some different things, different challenges with that. Yeah, and there's so many different, I mean, we could talk about the, the kids who transition for the first time as teens or kids who have lived in the field for mm -hmm. you know, 10 years or kids that are getting ready to leave. And so, you know, it really does, again, once, once again, depends on your child and what they need. But I think more than anything, respect that they're adults. Respect mm -hmm. that in many, many ways, they're more mature than um, probably you were at that age. And in some ways it's a little more immature because they have often been sheltered from mm -hmm. the pop culture and things that are going on in the States. Some of those things, and yet they do know how to like, you know, navigate flying across the world by themselves and, and speaking yeah. different languages and living with people, different cultures. So I think the one thing is, is to treat them not as chi as a child as much and treat mm -hmm. them more as an adult who's becoming, um, and then find the thing that speaks to them. Um, you know, I had Emma and I, my daughter who's 25 now, she was 16 when we came back to the States and she didn't always have the language or didn't want to talk mm -hmm. about the things that she was feeling, but we could communicate through music. 
So she would send me a song and I would say, mm. you know, oh, all right, all right. oh, that's really sad. Do you feel that way about this? And she said, yeah. And then I would send her a song, you know, a positive version mm -hmm. song, you know. <laughs> so we communicated through music. But I me, be creative. If your kid's a sports player, you know, mm. talk, on the, talk on the field. Um, driving, I cannot stress enough with your children when you're both facing the same direction and going down the road is the best mm -hmm. time to talk to them. The shoulder to shoulder activities. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, for us, uh, kind of that similar feel uh, comes with hiking, uh, outdoor activities. So it's kind of playing to the sports thing, but less on the competitive edge. You're together going on a journey someplace. Um, one thing that we've done with our kids uh, when they were in that tweener's years, uh, but leading into their teenager's years is doing a significant hike with them. So yeah, it great. was an intentional trip with dad or with mom, uh, to climb a mountain. Um, and then to use that as a metaphor that once they conquered it, that, uh, they could then do recognize anything. they could do anything. They can manage anything. Now, not everybody is supposed to do everything. You know, right. we don't have to reach for the stars. We don't have to be that cheesy. Climb every mountain. Yeah. Um, Another thing, though, about kids that age, I think would be helpful is to allow a mentor into their life. Mm. You know, they're at a point where th that you can't be their everything and you mm. shouldn't try to be their everything. And so um, maybe a, an adult TCK or someone that they've bonded with or someone through, a, you know, an organization for TCKs or um, someone at the home office. We have Kate Cody Jones, who has been on the field and knows about kids. She's been chatting with several of our TCKs and so I'll allow, in fact, don't even allow, but really search out other people who can help your kids navigate the difficulties of being a teenager and a TCK. Thinking about our third culture kids and moving into adulthood, like you're saying, these, these teenagers, 17, 18 year olds are adults and they're getting ready to step out on their own. Where have you seen them thrive? Um, you know, we've kind of talked about challenges, but yeah. I love to think about the gift they bring to the world, uh, that they bring to their unique time in history. Where, where have you seen them uh, really thrive? Actually, I have the research is out there and I'm not a statistics person, but you're welcome to Google it. Um, adult TCKs really do tend to thrive in the world. They tend to thrive in their education. They thrive in college. I think they're statistically their GPA is higher than, mm -hmm. than the average kids their age going through college. They are really um, more apt to find a job and excel in that job. And one of the reasons they're, they're seeing this is because these are kids that have learned to navigate the world. They are tolerant and understanding of different cultures, different religions, people of different backgrounds. They can talk to children while at the same time they can talk to adults. They haven't just been with their peer group um, and, and somewhat limited capacity. Mm -hmm. So um, they have been wildly successful across the board. Mm -hmm. And now that's not to say that there aren't some that deal with issues mm -hmm. from growing up as TCKs, but mm -hmm. for the most part, they're really successful adults. Yeah pretty successful can get plugged in and integrated in lots of different places in lots really of different can. ways. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. And probably for those adults though, some of the challenges would just be that sense of fitting in the loneliness uh, would be the converse side. They can fit in, in lots of places. They can, they can feel like they can make an impact in lots of places, but then 
still sometimes maybe feel like an outsider? Yeah, they often do have a, a an issues with feeling like they belong. You know, you may go to a church where people have been there for 25 years and you've just been there for a few. You know, mm -hmm. people that have these long histories together that they just don't have. So they do feel, still struggle with a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. Also a sense of, um, a lot of them don't, don't do really well with settling down because their life has been so much transition. You know, they'll make shorter term plans, shorter term careers, or, you know, I'll do this for a few years and then I'm moving here. And, you know, they kind of continue, want to continue moving yeah. in their lives. So you're, you're moving into those young adult years as a mom of TCKs that are adults now, mm -hmm. and your kids are always your kids. Always. But what have been some things that you have done or even that you've been reading about to help people navigate those adult years where they're taking off on their own and they're thriving yeah. in many ways, but when they face some of those challenges, uh, what have been some, some words of advice that you've given to them or some ways that you've helped guide them? My children? Yeah. Your kids, or maybe even things that you've been reading about. Yeah. Um, I think that listening and giving them that space to, to process what they're going through, how they're feeling, the frustrations that they have, um, you know, the last several years in America with the climate here has been really difficult for people who don't understand not getting along with someone else because of their race or their religion. Um, and so I find that TCKs have a strong sense of justice. Mm -hmm. And so when things are not just and they're seeing injustice played out, you know, they need a space where they can talk about that and, and, and realize that people's faith may not look like their faith that may not be, you know, so justice oriented and so tolerant. And um, so they definitely need space and someone to talk to and someone to listen. Um, I think, like I said, it's the same community thing, having, having other people in their life. One of the reasons that we really are glad that we've moved to Indianapolis is because our kids have that sense of, of team community, you know, CMF community that, that we had on the field. Um, okay. We're on a team. So finding some sort of community that the kids can, um, people that are safe, that love them no yeah. matter what, and, and welcome questioning. Yeah. 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 It's the best way to help those, those young adults navigate, navigate the world and thrive. And there are still some things they don't know, you know, kids, <laughs> up, you know, they don't understand some of the, some of the cultural references. They don't know how to navigate certain things. And, mm -hmm. So allowing them to ask those questions and, and remembering, oh yeah, you have no idea how this, this, this works. Mm -hmm. You never had to do it before. <laughs> well, in thinking about the pastoral care aspect of this and faith, um, mm -hmm. as a parent of TCKs or ways to parent TCKs and faith, um, what would, speaking to that t intentionality piece, where did where did you find that working for for your family for your kids um and where would you suggest some of our families go when it comes to faith cuz the hard the hard thing that i've seen um is that it sounds kind of crass but i'm a professional christian um right. and making my faith uh, as well as my profession something in which my kids are constantly interacting with and seeing, observing, and then having to navigate on their own has been a challenge uh, for us. And I just would love to hear you speak to that as we think about third culture kids. Yeah, that is huge. What you just said is huge because our faith is our vocation. And mm -hmm. sometimes we forget to actually live out the faith or actually mm -hmm. 
know, it's just what we do and we're not actually feeling it and embodying it and being led by Christ and, and the spirit. We're just doing our job. Mm -hmm. And um, we forget to bring our children into a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and the things that we, you know, we have a lot of help doing that in the States. We go to church and there's youth group and there's Sunday school and there's, you know, a church camp and, and lots of times in, in other cultures, that's not available. Sometimes right. it is, that's great. But you kind of here in the United States, you have other people, the other professional Christians can right. do that for you. Christians, which I hope there are real, you know, yeah. real depth in there too. But you know, so to be to be once again, first of all, make your relationship with Jesus a priority mm -hmm. and live out your faith as your faith, mm -hmm. and then also your vocation. Mm -hmm. um, so when your children see you loving the loving God and praying to God and you know, how that, how Christ's compassion moves you to, to, to do your ministry, mm -hmm. then they're going to catch on to that, first of all. Mm -hmm. But then um, there's that intentionality, and that is reading the Bible together and praying together and, you know, doing the little Bible stories that you think that they normally get in Sunday school class, but you're going to have to teach them that. So using um, videos and just telling them the stories of Jesus, weaving it into your family, um, day-to-day -day meals, bedtime mm -hmm. routine. Um, well, and that goes into like my, my next question about education. Education is a big thing that everybody in a foreign context has to wrestle right. with. And there's a couple of tiers to it. And I know that you can speak to this for sure. Um, but I'll just say, I guess anecdotally about my own family, when you talk about the faith piece oh. and even the stories that you mentioned for the elementary age kids and mirroring, themselves or their emotions in a story my wife we, we were in a very remote setting where there was no school um and in order to keep our kids on track with education my wife stepped into the role of helping them navigate homeschooling uh, which was huge because it allowed us as a family to even be in that place and to exist and not feel like we were completely neglecting our kids and their education so aaron had the harder job on so many levels uh, than I did being out in the in the village at different points throughout the day. Um, but she says all the time how precious those times were together with the kids, being able to have those conversations. So the intentional one-on-one, -on -one, right. it was just built into their everyday. And then with the curriculum that we used, the faith piece and mirroring yourself and the stories that they were heard were just built into the everyday. Like it was almost like she didn't have to worry or think through some aspects of that. It, it was, it was there already. So that was huge when it came to education for us and homeschooling to have that, the faith thing playing out as well. That, that was right. great for us. That's really, that's super helpful. Another thing I just thought of was um, um, our children can get angry at God. If we don't remember to prioritize our family because mm -hmm we're out doing God's work. And if mm -hmm. we're gone all the time, and if we don't have time for them doing God's work, you know, they can be angry at us or angry at God for taking away their parents. So we do need to find that balance. Mm -hmm. Really yeah. to God. And yeah. I touched on homeschooling and education. What are some ways that you give advice for families to navigate the whole education piece? 
Um, cause it's a challenge. It's a, a huge challenge for every single family on the field. Even if they have an international school down the street, there's a challenge there. Um, so w words of advice or just general suggestions you give, like when, when do you say, yeah, homeschooling is going to probably be the best. And I know you don't command anybody. That's not how CMF <laughs> works. You don't command anybody. It's up to the, each individual family and each family with their own kid deciding what's the best way forward. But sure. when, when you're talking through these scenarios, when do you start saying, you know, homeschooling is going to be best or some one-on-one -on -one tutoring is going to be best or, you know, plugging into the host country's school system is right. going to work or no, that an international school setting is going to be better. When, where, do, how do you help families navigate that? Yeah, there are so many dynamics that play into that. So it would be, you know, your location, what's available your child and how they work best and then the parent and how the parent works best. So we need to look at all of those factors and um, not have a one size fits all answer and, and be willing to be flexible and reevaluate every year. I always tell people that I evaluated every child every year. So mm -hmm. I said, yes, we're homeschooling right now, but next year this one may go to local school that way. No, we just, you just don't know. Um, Yes, but the time I spent homeschooling with my children were some of the worst and the best days of my life. <laughs> I think my wife with Erin would say the same thing. <laughs> it's hard, but it's so, so precious. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we've got lots of options. Homeschooling, local school, international school, boarding school. We have some of our parents who have chosen boarding school, and it's been the best choice for their family for that child at that time. So I, I, I hesitate to go too deep into that except to say that if what you're doing is not working, then let's talk about it. Let's be creative. We have options. There are so many different options at our disposal these days that, um, you know, let's find something that works for you and for your child. Yeah. We were one of those families when we went to the mission field with a two-year-old and a two-month-old. We said, we are never going to send our kids to boarding school. Yeah. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and then... We started seeing with Aiden, we lived in a, again, we lived in a remote setting doing homeschooling. He's loving it. He's thriving. Uh, he did homeschool every morning. Then every afternoon he's out running around with his buds in the village, playing soccer, hunting birds, boat with his bow and arrow. But then about fifth grade, we were seeing something's, something's going on here. Like his friends are getting different responsibilities in their home in their families. They're, right. they're having to be out with the cattle, uh, uh, and Aiden's going deeper with school. Um, he's having his assignments are increasing, so he's not able to spend as much time outside running right. around playing soccer and going hunting. Um, and then there was a social component for him where he's seeing his friends and the, the village friends having responsibilities that's taking them away from time with him. And he's having these responsibilities taking him away from them that boarding school suddenly became this legitimate option for him that we didn't push on him. It was actually him seeing other missionary kids that went to it that he thought, you know, that actually sounds like something I want to do because I think it was some of this, what we're talking about with the third culture kids, I can be around other kids who, RTCKs as well. Exactly. We kind of, yeah, they get me. They understand even if their parents live in Tanzania and they've grown up in Tanzania, they're still a TCK. And so what ended up being something we were super resistant to, you know, 
when he was a two-year-old, what by the time he was 12, he was loving boarding school. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of always make you eat your words. Never, yeah. ever, or always yeah. your child, because they'll they'll show you who's in charge. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, so that's it's it's a challenge. Um, and it's up to each family. It's it's really up to each family dealing with each individual kid. But that's definitely an area when it comes to our CMF missionaries that you are more than happy to help them talk through and navigate and be a sounding door for. And we have, you know, not just me, we have so many parents who have so much knowledge and experience who are willing to help other parents navigate that to choose to make the best choice for their child and their family. Well, so now I want to think about culture and integration that is, you know, we're talking about third culture kids. We're talking about how they don't quite fit at home. They don't quite fit at the host country. They don't quite fit at the home country. But integration is vitally important. That's what missions is all about, is about figuring out how to bridge that gap between culture and language and to be present in yeah. the place that you're at. What would be some, some thoughts towards integration in your host country? Um, Because it's a struggle. It's a struggle for families. It's a struggle for parents. Sometimes it's a struggle for one of the parents more than another. Um, And then it can be a struggle, I'm guessing, from child to child uh, in in a setting. Uh, So I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts first with your host country, your place of ministry. Um, where, where, Where are those struggles at with integration and how can we be intentional? and encouraging uh, integration. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say this again. You need to integrate well. Mm -hmm. If you stay home with your doors shut, scared of the place, scared of the people, not speaking the language, saying, I can't wait to leave, your children are not going to integrate well. If you're out there in the community, making friends, trying to speak the language, trying to learn the culture, then your children, and bring your children with you. So that's one of the main things. Take your children with you. Don't leave them at home take them with you. If you're in a culture that you can do that, which it seems like I think most of the places we work, um, you can do that. Take them with you. Um, explain what's going on. Laugh, enjoy, have fun. Um, normalize the differences between the cultures. You know, normalize that mm. kids play in the dirt. You know, in America, we'd say, get out of the dirt. You know, here in, in Ivory Coast, get down and play with an old empty can in the dirt. You know, that's, that's normal. Just roll around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> ask questions for them. If they ask questions, why? I mean, I remember a time my son was like, why is she not wearing a shirt? You know? So I just asked her often with, you know, why are you not wearing a shirt? And she said, because I'm hot. And so mm-hmm. I explained because she's hot. And he was like, okay, good enough for me. So, you know, <laughs> don't say, Shh, don't ask that. That's not nice. I mean, it, you know, your culture, of course, but I mean, allow, um, allow them to be curious answer questions for them whenever it's appropriate. But I think the main thing I would say is to actually live there. I mean, mm-hmm. we came to a, a, a point in our parenting in, in Africa that um, it was kind of like they started to want to go out, you know, like you said, like Aiden, they want to go out with their friends and run around and go to the market by themselves and climb trees. And, you know, you start thinking, well, what if, you know, there's snakes and what if they step on a razor blade? Because there's razor blades a lot of places <laughs> for people cutting their hair, you know, or yeah. What if they get hit by a taxi or what if, what if? And I finally said, if we're going to live here, my children are going to live here. They're not going to live in this house and then behind these, you know, in our, in our yard, they're going to live here. So, you know, you have to use common sense and don't want to put your children in danger, but also at the same time, 
allow them to participate and, and you know invite local people to their celebrations their birthdays go to their celebrations you know mm -hmm. um another thing that i i found really helpful was having household help and i know that in some in some countries we work that that's not possible it's not the norm but where we were to have um someone who would uh, take care of the kids that helped them with their language that helped them to understand i mean our nanny would take our daughters when they're little to the corner and sit with the local people and, and the shoot they would learn so many things that yeah. i i couldn't learn you know yeah. i was the you didn't try to hire a nanny to carry you around and take you places. <laughs> no, I didn't. I should have thought of that for yeah. me and teach me how to act. And you know, yeah. No, that is interesting. Yeah, our our family when it came to house help, you know, Ethiopia Ethiopians have house help, so it's not a right. race. It's not a race. Right, issue. Ivory Coast, yes. It's very much a cultural My piece. I had a nanny, so <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, in, in Ethiopia and throughout much of the continent of Africa and other parts of the world, even in Asia, um, house help is a way to create income and job opportunities for various tiers within the, within the society, within community. And also they, I think at least where we were, they, you know, they live in community. They would never expect one woman to do the child rearing, the cooking, mm -hmm. the cleaning. They would just would not expect that. They live in community and help yeah. each other. So why would we not? I mean, they felt bad for us that my mom's yeah. Weren't there to help me. So. Yeah. Well, I so I you know I say all that, but you know we brought our cultural baggage from the United States to where we just couldn't have someone in our home all the time. Sure. Now some of that was our personality too. I think we felt like Aaron and I felt like we could put ourselves out all day if we felt like there was like a safe space for us to step back into right. where we didn't have to be on. Um, and some of that's just our own personality. Um, and so for my kids it was showing, you know, we're going to go to every, if people come over and ask us over for coffee, we're going out to get coffee. Um, we're always going to be going out, 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 out. And then they always knew kind of the routine was like at home, they can, they can have that safe space where they don't have to perform. In a yeah. lot of ways, um, some of that speaks to again my personality type, my wife's personality type. But well, it was what we, when we we realized that we had a nanny at the beginning uh, when we were doing language school, uh, but we realized when it came to just needing to decompress, it was not the right fit for us. Um, so that speaks again to you saying each family's got to navigate right. that on their own. You have to know what works best for you. And we had one just in the mornings while I went home school or work at the clinic. You know, yeah. but some people prefer to have somebody there all day, and that's totally up to your family. Just, and we can say have a nanny, or we can say have guests. You know, either way, yeah. have people into your home. Yes, and go into their homes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's big. Yeah. Okay, so then thinking now, then integration back to your quote unquote home country for TCKs. What are some some directions that we can take that to be intentional? Because again, like you said, cousins have lived their own life for three years. Grandma and grandpa have probably Skyped with you a handful of times over the year. More than likely they did. They weren't able to come over and visit, but how do we help our kids navigate that transition? How do we help our kids be intentional and in engaging with uh, those folks? Yeah, I think for me, sometimes if it was a safe place, I would talk to the aunts and uncles and grandparents ahead of time and just say, Hey, you know, it's going to be like this. They've, they're going to feel a little awkward if, if there's anything they're doing that you don't understand or, you know, but could you help them learn how to be kids here? You know, can, and you might want to talk to your kids and ask if they include them or, 
um, you know, kind of explain to them they're a little different, but you know, their family. And mm -hmm. so I, I did do that. I don't know if that was super helpful or not, but yeah. um, with our kids, I was just available. And I think at first, when we would first transition, we did a lot of things together so that I could help them understand what was happening, understand why they said this, or understand why they laughed at you when you did that. And, you know, kind of help them, help them with their clothing, which seems kind of a, <laughs> it seems like a, a silly thing to mention, but it matters for some some kids, especially when they get to those teenager, teenage years. Mm -hmm. uh, take them shopping or have someone that you know and trust. You know, take them shopping to buy to buy some clothes that makes them make them feel like they fit in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron that was a value that she held is just making sure that our kids felt confident and when they showed up someplace, even if it was showing up in their Crocs. Right. And Crocs weren't popular. At least they were clean new Crocs. <laughs> exactly. We always think that things look really great to take back to the States. And then you open your suitcase and you're like, oh, it's everything worn out. <laughs> everything's brown. Yeah. Uh, everything's brown. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. We'd show up with our suitcases and trunks at the airport and yeah. it would literally look like it had come off a dirt road. And like, yeah. I remember my dad picking us up at the airport and be like, what in the world happened Where to your dad? Um, another thing I did was um, often, especially for like Emma, when she was going through those, those awkward teenage years was to have someone I knew and trusted to say, Hey, can you spend a little more time with her? And you know, this is a friend that would, an older friend, even older than me, my mom's age, you know, that would take her out for, take her out for lunch. And, you know, just kind of someone who would take them under their wing and kind of bond with them and be a safe space that they could totally. Well, I was going to ask that even just about. Uh, kids at any age, um, if you've seen some success with staying with grandparents for a weekend or a week, um, and how that's gone and, and when that usually happens. I, so, so maybe I'll say again, from my, my family's standpoint, our history, you know, we would transition back on home assignment. Um, and then maybe three months or so after being in the United States, we would do like a weekend where mom and dad aren't there. Um, cause we thought that they would, that we had a high value in seeing our kids bond with grandparents, right. uh, in that way and knew that us being there was always going to be maybe like a little barrier, uh, right. to them having their own shared experience without us there. Have you seen some success with that? I have. And I think that's, that's really important thing to do, but I like that you said you wait a few months because mm -hmm. they need that time to get to know each other again. And so, you know, there have been times I've told like my mom or my husband's mom, you know, she's a little quirky in this area or, you know, there are times like, you know, they didn't know the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever at certain mm -hmm. things. So, so, so to help the parents, the grandparents also have some grace and understanding and not expect this third culture kid to be exactly like they're just, you know, American right. grandkids. So I usually have, you know, a little discussion with them ahead of time give them a little time to get to know each other. And again, and then absolutely time spent apart is great. And my parents take each of my kids on a um, vacation hmm. when they're 12 years old. So, cool. you know, one of their furloughs, then if that's their closest to 12 year old furlough, you know, the grandparents take them on a trip and that's been, it's been really great for them, but cool. there also is some explaining and some pre-gaming that has to happen. It <laughs> has to occur. No, that's great. That's really neat. Well, okay. Let's go back to the idea of, We've got grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle. They love, they care for your kids, the extended family. They love you. They miss you, but you're 
over in such and such country for two plus years. How do you keep your TCK engaged with those people that they're not seeing on a regular basis? They don't live around the block from them. They're not right. going to see them at Christmas time. Uh, what would be some suggested ways that we keep our, t- our third culture kids connected with extended family that do genuinely love and care for them? Yeah, with with technology today, it's so much easier than it was, you know, when we went 20 years ago. But, um, you know, set a time aside week, weekly to FaceTime or Skype or Zoom or whatever it is. Um, I've seen people use grandparents to help with school. So if your grandparents are retired, you know, maybe reading with your kid if they're younger or helping with math if the grandparents oh. don't inclined, or, you know, just kind of um, having letting that kid have that one on one time academically with the grandparents. That's a cool idea. I like that. So you're saying if you got good enough internet connection, like you dedicate a time morning for hopefully your kid evening for the grandma and grandpa, something like that, not make the kids stay up late, but uh, yeah. Uh, So morning for your kid as they're doing, do a reading or maybe a Saturday afternoon reading with your kiddo, something like that. That's a Um, a cool idea. One thing that I think David Giles that told me that they did this when their kids were younger, and if I'm wrong, it's okay. But um, the grandparents recorded reading books to their smaller children, and then they took the books and the recording with them. So for bedtime tonight, you know, Mimi's going to read you one fish, two fish, you know. So they just play the recording of Mimi reading and help the kid turn the page. And, hey, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I, when I was there, I journaled like an email every day to my parents, but kind of like just a real quick, this is what happened today. And the, you know, they said this funny thing and, you know, they, you know, or they were just such a bear this day. So I kind of, every day my parents have a journal of what's going on. So they didn't miss out on those you know funny things that after three years you forget to tell them that, you know, right. Yeah, I try, try to figure out how to catch up, uh, catch them up on three years of missing out on right. the kid's life. Yeah. yeah or ha- even have the kids journal a little note, maybe, you know, on Saturday mm-hmm. or draw a picture. Just kind of be intentional once again, you know, with staying mm-hmm. in touch and communicating those little things. Cause it's the little things that build the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, the day to day things. Yeah. I was so grateful for my parents and particularly for the ways that my mom was very intentional about care packages, uh, yeah. Throughout the the years, I mean, we came, we were super dependent on upon those care packages showing up. The, thankfully, the Ethiopian mail system was very dependable. Uh, strangely enough, uh, oh, that's strange, but that's great. <laughs> yeah, and that was big for us and our kids. So, uh, one fun thing that my mom would do, uh, she knew we did every Wednesday night. We would do popcorn and a movie yeah. night as a family, just to break up. One of those traditions for the family, yeah. Right. It was a tradition. Uh, a number of the other families on our team in Ethiopia did a popcorn and movie night. And my mom, every year when uh, a new fun Disney movie or DreamWorks movie would come out, when it was at McDonald's or at Burger King, she would get all of the toys. Oh, that's uh, cool. And then she would um, get the box for that too. Mm-hmm. And then, but then she would wait until the movie came out on DVD. Would buy it on DVD and then send us a care package with all oh, the stuff in it. Fun. That's great. Yeah, and so it was a really cool way for her, you know, to be able to think about her grandkids and get them integrated in cultural pieces that are going on in the United States, but also bless our popcorn and movie night that got super repetitive. (laughs) She was killing all the birds with all the stones, creating that tradition and intentionality and keeping up with the culture, connectedness, all those things. That's awesome. My kids, you know, 17, 15 year olds, they still talk about 
how awesome those toys were. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's so so ridiculous. Um, th those are some great suggestions and thinking about. I know our grandparents in particular. I know aunts and uncles care too, but grandmas and grandpas sure. are in a special category uh, when it comes to our third culture kids. Uh, so that those are great suggestions. Now, you are an Enneagram fan. You love right. the Enneagram. Uh, you, you always are coming back to the Enneagram numbers and personality types and encouraging people uh, to learn more about themselves through the Enneagram. Absolutely. Um, and so I would love to think about the Enneagram and ways in which it has maybe helped you parent third culture kids yeah. and maybe some suggestions for uh, parenting third culture kids in the Enneagram, hey, ways that, that can maybe help us. Sure. Well, one of the rules about it, the, about the Enneagram and children is that you don't really, you're not really supposed to type them. So it makes it a little complicated. Mm -hmm. um, they say that, you know, your number probably isn't really firmed up until you're 18 to 20. Um, it probably starts forming around the age of 12. And so um, you really shouldn't probably tell your kid, oh, you're definitely a four, unless your kid tells you that they're a four. So, but you know, some kids is pretty obvious that, that, that that's who they are. But here's the thing you can do. Um, there's something um, in Enneagram wisdom called your stance. And mm -hmm. that stance is part of your Hornevian group based on Karen Horney's work from the 1940s. Mm -hmm. If you're really interested in that, you can look up some of her work. But what she did notice was that, um, and, and seeing how people get, children get their needs met, there are some that move towards people, some that stay where they are, and some that move away. And so those are withdrawing, compliant, the ones that stay there, and then aggressive, the ones that move towards a situation so, or a person. So move towards people. Say this again. Move okay. towards people. That would be aggressive stance. Aggressive stance. Stay where they're at. Compliant stance. Meet compliant. people things right where they are. They're not going to go towards it, but they're not going to go away. They're just going to stay right where they are. And then the third piece, withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And so those, when you put those over the, those Hornevian groups over the Enneagram, you can see that um, threes, sevens, and eights move forward. They're, this, they're just the ones that are going towards things that have a lot of ambition, a lot of energy. Um, there are ones, twos, and sixes that are compliant and kind of, you know, meet the need where they are. They're present focused. And then you have the four, fives, and nines, which are past focused, and they kind of pull back. So I think that you can tell with your children mm -hmm. which stance they're in. You can tell, are they aggressive? Are they compliant? Are they withdrawing? And you don't have to worry about the numbers at that point. You can just mm -hmm. tell one of those three things. You know, you have the kid that's always talking about tomorrow. What are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing the next day? And, you know, what are we doing this? And thinking forward three days. And then there's a kid that's I don't want to do this. And I'm thinking about yesterday was nice, you know, and then mm -hmm. there's a kid like, well, here we are is what we do. Mm -hmm. So if you know those three stances, if you can find out which stance your child is in, that helps you know what you need to develop and work on within that child. So if your child is in the aggressive stance, um, you're going to want to work on helping that child develop their feeling center, helping them to, to be in touch with their emotions. Cause those kids are moving so quickly they don't always know what they're feeling. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I are both in the aggressive stance. It's three yeah. and seven. We're just going, 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 going. And we don't realize mm -hmm. we're sad or angry, yeah. tired or, you know. So if your kid's in the aggressive stance, think about helping them learn 
to explore their feelings. Mm -hmm. um, if your child's in the compliance stance, then those are the kids that you need to help with their thinking. Sometimes they're spinning. They, they're, those are the processors. Their kids are just thinking, 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 thinking. And um, you might want to work on helping them to think productively. You know, kind of okay. work, you know, buddy, we've already talked about that. You know the answer to that. You don't have to ask me five times. Let's go, you know, let's help you to trust your thinking and, and mm -hmm. develop thinking in the child. Before you've talked about uh, the morning pages idea. Mm -hmm. Is that, would that be with that particular that's that group? Stance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Those one, yeah. twos, and sixes are the compliant group. You know, that may be mm -hmm. the kids that you need to sit down in the morning and say, tell me what's going on in your mind. Just mm -hmm. talk, 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 talk. And then, okay, we're not going to think about that now. I know you're worried about this, so but we're going to, we're going to let that go. We're going to leave that here. And now we're going to go to school or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and, then the, and then with the, the withdrawing children, those are the kids that have a harder time uh, with their doing. So you need to help them develop their doing, a plan for cleaning their room, a plan for doing their homework, um, you know, helping them prioritize the things they need to do and, you know, start developing that doing center within mm -hmm. them. So it's for, for them, when it comes to doing things, stepping out, mm -hmm. do, do you find that the best ways to encourage that are by sitting and making a list or would it be incentivizing um, an activity usually is better when it comes to children? I uh, think most children do better with incentives, you know, just mm -hmm. in general, there's a few that would do well with a list. And if you need a checkoff list, that's fine. But I think they do mm -hmm. like an incentive. And sometimes it's just something as simple as saying, and this is what I mean by developing their doing, say, buddy, today you've got to do homework. You've got to clean your room and you've got to write a letter. So which one are you going to do first? And mm -hmm. then which one are you going to do? And then, you know, and what are you going, you know, kind of just helping them plan out what they're going to do and then reminding them, no, remember we decided you're going to write that letter after you finish your homework, mm -hmm. yeah. those sorts of things. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's good to not push your kid into a corner with the Enneagram, type them as a four-year-old <laughs> as right. a four. Right. Don't do that. <laughs> but it sound, I really like that idea of at least you have three general categories. Uh, right. where, where you can go. Now, right. I, I've heard recently someone referred to the aggressive stance more as assertive. Okay, assertive. we can call assertive. <laughs> so I, I like yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I like being assertive, but not aggressive. Come on. Yeah. So we've got our assertive, aggressive stance. Again, the compliant, you said that mm -hmm. they're staying where they're at and then the withdrawal piece. So right. th those are really great. Can you, could you touch again on numbers that fit within those three categories? Sure. That would be great. The aggressive stance for, or the assertive, excuse me. <laughs> I'm being assertive by, by telling okay. you to be assertive. You are exactly. Case in point, uh, threes, sevens, and eights. Okay. Okay. And then the compliant would be one, two, six. Mm -hmm. And then withdrawing would be four, five, and nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is totally a loaded question when it comes to parenting in the Enneagram, but when do you see like this, let's say the aggressive and the withdrawal clash, like are there, is there such a thing as like a parent that is over here on one side of the spectrum clashing more or do they do a better job of helping that kid in, in the opposite or a, it's not even opposite, but that in a different kind of bracket 
navigate things better. Do you see what I'm saying? Like do three, does a three tend to help an assertive kid better or do they get driven crazy and they can only relate to the kid that does the withdrawal thing? Can I say yes? Cause it's, <laughs> it's both and at different times, but that is actually one thing I was going to mention about parenting and the Enneagram. I think the most important thing is to know your number and to be your best. And so like, um, kind of like I think what you're touching on is our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness. Mm -hmm. And so like, for instance, a, a one parent could, you know, be really good at teaching their kids right from wrong, but at the same time, they can also become critical, you know, too critical. And that, um, you know, the, the voice of your parent when you're a child becomes your inner voice. So a one parent's going to have to be careful to use their strength to teach their children right from wrong, but at the same time, not be too critical so that the child criticizes themselves. Um, and so I think, you know, you could relate to, do you want me to go through the numbers and just tell you the strength and weakness of each one? Yeah, do it. Do that. That'd be great. Okay. Got time? Awesome. Yeah, we got totally time. Go okay. for it. Well, and then like, um, a two parent, you know, their, their strength in parenting may be caring for their child, you know, really making the child feel nurtured and cared for and loved and safe. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can also become overbearing and, you know, too involved and too enmeshed in your child's life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, two parents have to be careful about not being too smothering, but helping their kids be, um, feel safe, safe. I keep saying safe. Um, <laughs> your th three parents, um, you guys are really great at teaching your kids to be adaptable. You know, come on, you can do this. And this is what this situation calls for. And you can do this and you can do that, you know, and, and really helping kids learn how to be at ease in every situation. But with that, sometimes um, they can also make their kids feel like, you know, who they really are authentically is not enough. And so that can sometimes make the kids feel ashamed that they can't be everything to everybody or encourage them to image craft too much yeah. so that the kid at the end of the day doesn't really know who they are because they're just who you tell them to be in every situation. Yeah. We really, man, we, with being missionaries in Ethiopia and then because my wife and I are both Enneagram threes, at least that's right. how we type ourselves. Um, being in Ethiopia, we would have those types of expectations and then the same coming back on home assignment at different times. And we thankfully before the Enneagram would check ourselves and that's great. Try to try to not go too far down that route. Now my kids, when they're older, we're probably gonna have to see therapists because right. of it. But, but I can totally test uh, <laughs> testify to, in in our own experience feeling that. Um, and then having to take a step back and saying, yeah, they got to just be themselves uh, in these That's times. Very wise. It's very, it's very good parenting. Um, fours are really empathetic and they can teach their children to, you know, feel the world's feelings and to notice how people are feeling. And um, so they can really, they can really excel at teaching their children empathy, but they can also dwell excessively on suffering and, um, to the point where their kids don't develop resilience, you know, so they just mm. feel and they don't ever say, you know, but we're okay, let's get up and move forward, you know, so they can get yeah. stuck that way. Um, fives, they can teach their kids to dig deep and learn and, you know, they can really just open the door to knowledge and go really deep with whatever it is the kid's interested in, chess or, I don't know, birds or whatever. But um, at the same time, Fives can get so stuck up in their heads, they're not relational. And they, you know, they, they, they miss out on connecting with their kids on an emotional or even, you know, the physical, like, you know, giving hugs or going for a run together. Or, you know, mm -hmm. they're just stuck in that 
um, knowledge category. Yeah. Um, six can sixes can teach kids to be prepared and follow the rules and you know follow the the um, authorities in their life and, mm -hmm. and, and and be prepared for anything. You know, think through this. What might happen? And that's not safe. And you shouldn't jump off a roof <laughs> or you know whatever. <laughs> um, but sometimes they can induce anxiety and um, help teach kids to not trust their internal compass, which sometimes a kids' internal compasses are off, you know. But right. um, we want to be careful to help develop both, them to trust themselves and also trust the rules. Mm -hmm. so, trust their own inner voice at different points. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you want them to have some, to feel good about themselves and have some yeah. confidence. Some autonomy at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sevens, you know, we're really good at teaching kids to be positive and enjoy life and have fun and, you know, life's a party and get all, all the fun out of it. But, um, we also can induce an, an, an unhealthy avoidance of negative feelings and teach kids to just stuff, you know, we don't, we're not as in tune to their, to their emotions. You're fine. Shake it off. You're good. You know, it's mm -hmm. a great day. It's beautiful. So, you know, so your friend hurt your feelings. Get another friend. Come on, let's go. <laughs> And we're not good with boundaries. We don't, we're not good at teaching children, you know, boundaries and discipline. And mm -hmm. Did you find that that was a challenge? Like thinking about people in your home, uh, yeah. with your nanny, things like that, that when it came to boundaries, it's like people stayed maybe too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been doing boundary work. I'm almost 50 and I've been, I've still got boundary work to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but some of my kids are really good at boundaries. They must have picked it up from their dad or somebody. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, then eights. <laughs> okay, eights. They can teach kids to be assertive and courageous. You know, they can really lead the way and encourage kids to, to go with them. But they can also be insensitive and push kids a little beyond what they're ready, you know, ready to do. They can. I heard a story of a, a dad who's, of a child who became an eight as he got older. You know that his dad threw him into the pool to learn how to swim. You know, you can do it. You're fine. Move your legs, you know. Wow. Sometimes an eight dad can be a little bit. Um, yeah. Or mom. That kid be. and that that kid never got in a pool again. <laughs> right. Or they became a champion swimmer, one or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, nines. You know, they can teach kids peaceful coexistence. You know, to just love people and enjoy life, and you know, just kind of the, the they can bring that zen quality that all of us need to have it sometimes. But at the same time, they can also not encourage their children to grow or become assertive. They can just be real happy. You know. I'm okay. You're okay. Life's okay. And they don't really, you know, challenge them to, to grow beyond that. So, yeah. Now this, those are all great points of interest and thought when it comes to the Enneagram uh, with our kids, as well as the ways that we need to be as parents. That's really yeah. good stuff, Julie. Thank you. As we, as we come to this end of our time, I'd love to just throw out a few resources uh, to folks uh, that are listening um, maybe some books or some websites that you would suggest if they want to learn more about parenting and parenting third culture kids, or even for those of our missionaries who similar to me are third culture kids at uh, TCKs. Um, I, I have a, a couple of friends uh, in the organization that I know are TCKs too. And even as adults, it's good to learn a little bit more about yourself or the, why you think about the world the way you do. So Absolutely. What, would be, what would be some resources that we could throw out there to folks? Um, there's so many good books out there. Um, I can give you a couple of my favorites, but that don't consider this an exhaustive sure. list by any means. You know, Google and search. If you find something wonderful, let me know. But um, I really like Raising Up a Generation of Healthy TCKs by Lauren Wells. That's a pretty great book. She also has a ministry 
um, and website, so you can look up Lauren and um, her work with TCKs. There's also the the oldie but goodie Third Culture Kids by uh, yeah. Van Rieken and Paula yeah. Ruth Van Rieken. There you go. Yeah, I've got it. I'm holding it up here. If anybody's watching the video, <laughs> she was one of the first people to coin the term TCK. In fact, I think mm-hmm. she was. So they've done a lot of research. Um, also, there's a book called Misunderstood by Tanya Crossman. And that's how, how do you say her last name? Crossman. It's like, Crossman. I mean, it. maybe it's Crossman. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Remember, but Tanya yeah. Crossman, T-A-N-Y-A. Um, and that's pretty good for kids who are teenagers and trying to understand, you know, that they've been TCKs for a long time and they feel misunderstood. Um, there's Kaleidoscope that works with TCKs. And if you're looking for them, it's kaleidoscope.org. Just take out all the vowels. So K-L-D-S-C-P.org. Just take out the vowels of kaleidoscope. Um, there's also Moo Kappa. Um, Moo Kappa. What is that? It sounds like a sorority. <laughs> it is. It's it's for TCKs and they're on college campuses. And oh. yeah. So they have hey, that's great. chapters on many college campuses. They have transition seminars um, for like kids who are leaving the field and going to college for the first time. We love to get our TCK, TCKs set up for um, attending those kinds of camps. And I, I, there's those, just so many. Do, do those happen all around the United States or all around the world? Um, these camps? I think I think the transition camps happen all in the United States, as far as I know. But they do have some gatherings around the world in different countries. Uh, if you look at the fellowship site on CMF's fellowship site, we do have a whole whole ton of of resources for TCKs and people yeah. who love them. So I encourage you to check that out. Yeah. And Moo Kappa is it M U K A P P A? Is that exactly? Yeah, like Greek the Greek letters. Not exactly. not cow, cow and and <laughs> and hat or something. Yeah. Um and okay, those are those are really great resources. And I should have said this at the beginning of our time together. Uh we have tried to be intentional about recognizing that third culture kids we're not just speaking to North, our North American missionaries. Absolutely um, not. This applies to our missionaries across the board, whether you're Chilean or German or from the UK. Your kids are third culture kids um, and, and are, are growing up in a third culture environment. And these are all resources that CMF wants to provide uh, to you or that you can access uh, at different Absolutely. points. Um. Julie, this has been great uh, to to talk through, and I think we could probably go for two or three more hours, but uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up here at this at this point. And I look forward to talking uh, further with you about Third Culture Kids at some point in the future. Thanks for okay. your ministry and for being an awesome director of missionary care and development. You're the best. Well, thanks. You're pretty swell too, and we got some great missionary families out there. Some yeah, great- we do. Yeah, some pretty awesome TCKs. Thanks, Julie.